Amen. Amen. Thank you, Sharon. Yes. Wow. I love when we get together in the house of the Lord. And I really love when worship is so good like today. You know, amen, amen. I love that about our church. I love, um, because you can feel the presence of God here. You can feel the presence of God here. And I don't know about you, but I hope you came expecting to receive something today. You know, I tell people all the time, I'm Baptocostal. Um, Baptist because I recognize that the word of God is truth and everything should be measured by God's word, period. But Pentecostal in the sense that I come expecting that God is going to do something. Um, Of course, I'm joking, but I do. And you should as well. What if on a Sunday we came into God's house saying, Lord, I don't want to leave the same way that I come in. What if we come and say, Lord, I want you to do something in me. And whatever we sing about, whatever we preach about, God, I want it to to register here. Father, read my mail. What if we came expecting that? Amen? Amen. Well, John chapter 8, I'm glad you're here. We're going to talk about adultery today. Actually, we're not. This is actually a sermon about Jesus. And you're going to find yourself in this sermon today. I asked my wife, I said, I have to open up with something, you know, kind of a, uh, I titled the sermon, Both Are True. That's the title of today's sermon, Both Are True. And as I worked through these 11 verses, I couldn't help but see that there was kind of a catch-22 situation that seemed to be happening, but both situations were true. And I asked her, I said, how can I introduce that? And she said, well, how about you not try to be cute and you just preach the word of God? I praise the Lord for a good wife. <laughs> but I was thinking, I was thinking, I got an opportunity to, uh, we went to Tennessee a couple months ago or a month ago, and um, my daughter came up from Alabama. She's a student at the University of Alabama, and she needed breaks. And as a dad, I was excited because I was going to get to change her breaks for her. You know, that's about the limit of my expertise in, in cars, but I can do breaks. And I'm, I actually cut myself here. I was bleeding from my knuckles. But I, I was able to do those breaks. And I got a big hug from her saying, Dad, thank you so much. And I loved it. You know, because as a dad, you want to be able to do that. And I probably saved her a couple hundred bucks. But to be able to do that for my daughter was just a beautiful thing for me. But I have to tell you that we went to see my parents. So I was actually changing the brakes in my dad's garage. Now, I have one of those dads that you may have something similar. Like, you give him a hunk of metal, he could, like, make a car out of it. There's nothing that I'm going to do about brakes that he hasn't already done and probably wrote the manual on. But there he was patiently helping me. And we did run into a problem trying to get the, 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 the brakes back on, and we were able to fix it. And at the end of it, he said, hey, you know a thing or two. And as a son... I long to hear that. I love to hear that. But let me tell you, both situations were true. In that moment, I was a dad and was able to do that for my daughter. But I was also a son that wanted to hear that from my dad as well. Both are true. Amen? Well, that's going to bring us now to John chapter 8. 
So taking a look at verse three, the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and placing her in the midst, they said to him, teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. The first point that I want to tell you is, the, the, the first point this morning is the sin. We are going to take a look at the sin in, in, in our story here. And so the woman is caught in adultery. So let's first take a look at her. We do not know her name. In fact, we are only given a description here. Others have identified her only by the actions she was caught in. And these three descriptive words are the only thing we know about her. First, woman. She is a woman. My first question is, where's the man? Right? Anybody else asking that question? Last time I understood it, it took two to tango. Where is he at? Right? But this is a woman, and she's been caught in adultery, which tells us this is a somewhat suspect, because if she was caught in adultery, where's the other person that she was with? And this tells me that th this is a trap being set for Jesus. They don't care that she was caught in adultery. This is now a trap being laid for Jesus. This woman is a part of a devious scheme. But it says she was caught, literally caught in the act. This is a setup. And then it says adultery. And we need to understand this. In, first, in this time, I was going to say the first century, actually before this, long before this, this would have been a capital crime. A punishment of death was what was warranted for this. So this is our woman. This is her sin. She's been caught in adultery. But I want to also offer up to you the scribes and the Pharisees. What about their sin? You see, they're the religious leaders, and here we get a picture of some wretched men that are using this woman for some sort of political gain, for some sort of religious gain. They are using her like a weapon, and they're trying to trap Jesus. But let me tell you, the sin of self-righteousness is what we see on display here, and they are guilty of it. They don't care about the holiness of God. They don't care about the church. All they care about is the means to an end. You see, Jesus was a threat to their religious system. Jesus was a threat to all that they had established. And here he is, the friend of sinners that is, is gathering crowds. They want to trap Jesus to manipulate this woman. You know, I, I often, um, I, I was trying to think of ways that I've tried to manipulate or, or try to use other people. Um, and, I, and I was thinking of when I was in the third grade, I knew I was going to the dentist. And I probably had, well, no, I know I was not the best at personal hygiene with a toothbrush. <laughs> you like how I tried this? I may not have been, no, I was not. And I knew I was going to be accused of not brushing my teeth. And the last time I was at the dentist, I got in trouble for that. So what I did the day before is I, I thought to myself, okay, it's probably been a couple of months since I've been to the dentist. So what I need to do is just brush my teeth a bunch of times and it will equal all that time I haven't. And I get there and the dentist actually says, you hadn't been brushing your teeth, have you? He didn't fall for my carefully laid, but what he could notice was the bleeding gums. What he could notice is, hey, I know that you have not 
been doing what you need to be doing. And my first response was, please don't tell my dad. I tried to manipulate. But as we think about this woman caught in adultery, as we think about these Pharisees, I want you to know that the sin that's being told to us, this applies to us because both are true. Both are true. We have things in our past, right? We have, we have things that we wouldn't want everybody to see. What if everything that you looked at on the computer this week was all of a sudden put on the computer screen right here? What if every text that you've texted this week was made for everybody to see? What if every word that you've spoken, or what if every thought that you had was made known? But also, what if the way we use and manipulate people was made known? What if, what if people that we are trying to just maneuver like pawns, maybe it's in our workplace, maybe it's in our family, we don't, we don't see them the way Jesus sees them. We see them as a result to an end. You see, the truth is we're guilty of both the sin of the woman and the sin of the scribes and the Pharisees. Both are true. The second thing I want you to see is the situation. The second point is the situation. Take a look at verse 5. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. So what do you say, Jesus? This they said to test him that they might have some charge to bring against him. You see, her situation was troubling. Her situation was troubling. Leviticus 20, verse 10 says this, if a man commits adultery with the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress sh shall surely be put to death. Had a hard time getting that. Adulteress shall surely be put to death. Say that five times fast. Somebody try Deuteronomy 22, 22 says this, if a man is found lying with the wife of another man, both of them shall die. The man who lay with the woman and the woman, so you shall purge the evil from Israel. This is the law. And now she has been brought up on these charges. This is her situation. She is now being held against her will. Imagine, here she is, probably half-dressed, caught in the act and been brought to the temple. Because we know in verse 1 that Jesus is already teaching at the temple. So she's been brought into public. What was done in private has been made known. She's probably half-dressed but fully exposed. All of her, 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 her whole life is now in front of everyone. And what she's done, what she's guilty of is in front of everyone. But what I can think of is she's coming to die. She thinks she's on her way to be publicly stoned. She will not get to say I'm sorry to her husband. She won't get to ask for forgiveness. And what about her children? This is the last memory. If she has children, this is the last memory they will have of their mom is that she was half-dressed in public and stoned. This is shameful and this is embarrassing. And here she stands before the scribes and Pharisees and before Jesus. This is her situation. But also, I want you to take a look at the situation that Jesus is in. They, we've, we've talked about it. They're trying to trap Jesus. They're trying to trap him here. But listen, if he says, yes, the law says to kill her, stone her, he would be upholding the law of Moses. But he would be going against this reputation that he's the friend of sinners. 
But even more so, he would be going against the Roman law because Rome has taken this ability of the public stoning away from them. Capital punishment is now a Roman issue, not for the Jews. So if he says, yes, stone her according to the law, on one side he would, he would be upholding it, but on the other he'd be guilty and, and, and he would now be in trouble with Rome. But then if he says, no, let her go. With all of the Jews, he would be guilty of flaunting the law, of, of, of working around. Do you see how they're trying to trap him? They now have this woman standing there, and they're saying, Jesus, what do you say? See, his situation is tough. This is that Jesus is between a rock and a hard place. But I'll tell you, if you're going to come to trap Jesus, you better understand he wrote the law. He is the law. You better come better than just this. But you know, Jesus isn't going to be had by this. But I want to tell you, when we're talking about the situation, both situations are true. Both are true. Her situation is embarrassing and shameful. So is your sin. So are the things that you've been caught in. So are the things that you're doing. And it's because of our sin that we've put Jesus in a tough spot. It's the reason that in the Garden of Gethsemane, he is sweating blood because he knows that without what he's about to experience, and could you imagine, he's fully God and fully man, that he knows every ounce of pain that's going to come his way to pay for your debt, to pay for your sin and my sin. And this, my sin, has put Jesus on the cross. Both are true. But we see that Jesus does something. He's, he doesn't respond. He just kneels down and starts drawing in the sand. This is weird. This is one of those weird things in the Bible. But you notice, Jesus is not going to be had by them, and he starts drawing in the sand. What do you think he's drawing? Is he writing something? I heard, uh, I got to hear Pastor Jarrett's at 8 o'clock, his sermon. I always listen to him first. And he said, I think what he was doing was drawing the gentlemen that were standing there. His name's Abraham. Hey, Abraham, remember Susie Q? Next one's Philip. Hey, Philip, what about Joyce? Yeah, you better check that. He's writing all the girlfriends of the scribes and the Pharisees, maybe. I thought that was kind of funny. You know, we know in Scripture that it was with his finger that he wrote the Ten Commandments. Maybe he's drawing the Ten Commandments. Maybe Jesus is making word art, saying, y'all, that's all y'all got? I don't know. Y'all better bring something bigger than that. I thought you were trying to trap me. We don't know what Jesus is drawing, but it's, it's such a, a weird here they are accusing this woman and they're demanding a response and his response is he kneels here and he starts drawing in the sand and that brings us to our third point today is the solution. So we looked at the sin of the woman and the scribes and the Pharisees. We see that the situation is a rock in a hard place but now we're gonna see the solution. Continuing in verse six, Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to 
ask him. So what we're getting is this idea that Jesus is just drawing. He's ignoring them. And they're like, hey, did you hear what I said? What are you going to do about this woman? You're going to support the law or you're going to support Rome? What are you going to do? Right? So we get this. They're just barking. Probably like little Yorkies. And he's just drawing. He stood up and said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. What an answer. Don't you love that about Jesus? This is some Solomon type stuff, right? Remember when the baby came and you had the, the mom that one said it's her baby, the other said it was her baby, and Solomon said, Listen, I'm just going to cut this baby in two. And the one said, no, let her have it. And Solomon got to that point. And I thought, oh, that's wisdom. But here, the one who gave the wisdom to Solomon is going to give an answer that's wiser than wise. And he's going to say, hey, fellas, Abraham, Philip, he who is without sin, you throw the first stone. Oh, the wisdom of Jesus. And once more, he bent down. So he went back to drawing again. But when they heard it, they went away one by one beginning with the older ones, and Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Verse 10, Jesus stood up and said to her, woman, where are they? No one has condemned you. See, here's the solution. Here's the solution. And the first one is I want to tell you mercy is on display. Mercy. Mercy is I don't get what I deserve. That's what mercy is. Meaning that the debt that I have accrued has a penalty associated with it. It's the very wrath of God and Jesus is gonna withhold the wrath of God. That's mercy. And we see this woman, she was guilty. There's no question about it. Did she deserve to be publicly stoned? Well, we see according to the law, yes, she did. And yet we see mercy on display. Jesus withheld the wrath of God. He was the only one there who could have thrown a stone if anybody was going to throw a stone, but he didn't because he displayed mercy. Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 8.1, there is therefore no, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So yes, according to the law, we are guilty and we deserve death. We've all sinned, every one of us. You're hearing this today, you have sinned and you deserve death. But if you are in Christ Jesus, you are not condemned and he takes the wrath of God that was meant for you. You see, Jesus does not encourage sin. This does not give us a free pass to just go on and sin. But what he does, we see full display of how much he loves the sinner even though you struggle, even though you're working and you're trying and you keep doing that thing that you don't want to do, Jesus loves you. Jesus is calling out to you. And we saw it last week when we were talking about the woman at the well. Jesus would have normally gone around Samaria, but we see that Jesus went as a direct, like a beeline right through Samaria for this woman because he wanted to meet her where she was. And if you're hearing this today, Jesus is telling you, I see you. I know what you're going through. I know what you're doing and I know what you're struggling with. And I want you to know I love you. And that that's headed your way, I have gone to the cross to pay that debt. That's mercy. The Lord silences the critics of this world while healing our hearts. And certainly this 
woman's heart. You see, he never treats sin casually. It's, it, 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 is, it is a killer. And the wages of sin are death. But he is calling out to sinners to turn away from your old, broken lives. And that's what he's going to say to this young lady. But we also see that grace is on display. See, we said mercy, the definition of mercy is I don't get what I do deserve. Grace is the flip side of that, is I get what I don't deserve. This woman, not only is, is, is her sin, he's going to say, hey, go and sin no more. But you know what it was? It was an invitation to the newness of life. Here she stood, guilty, embarrassed, shameful, and Jesus is going to say, daughter, go, sin no more, and be walk in the newness of life that I'm going to give you, a joy, a hope, and something so reassuring. Look, her sin made her feel gross and nasty, and I'm guessing that you know what that is. I'm guessing that you have experienced this that comes with sin. But the invitation is the same one that was to her is, here it is. Come to Jesus and be invited into the newness of life. You see, both are true. Justice was demanded, but mercy was given. But also, we are saved by grace. And that was what was offered to her. I want to share with you Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. Listen here, church. You can't be church enough. You can't come too much. You can't read your Bible enough. Right? And this is one of the ways we try to manipulate God. We try to, try to tally up all of the Christian things that we do so that, so that God will be pleased with us. You can't. There's no way. But another thing is, is you have to understand that God has announced that you are not guilty. Hold on, let me explain that for just a second, because if you're like me, when you hear that you're not guilty, you're like, yeah, but I still did it, so therefore I'm guilty. Thanks, God. Thanks for the nod, but I'm still guilty. You don't understand God, and you certainly don't understand the power of what Jesus did on the cross. What I'm saying is, by your actions, you have done something that made you guilty. But because God took your guilt and applied it to his son, you are now not guilty. And he hung like a piece of meat on a tree. He was nailed to that cross for every bit that you did. So we see mercy and we see grace. What was coming your way was withheld and what you didn't deserve, this newness of life, eternity, a relationship with God has been restored. Both are true. I came across a story. Billy Graham was traveling through a town in South Georgia. And look, my mom's from South Georgia, so I understand they have speed traps there. It's kind of like one of them one horse towns with one traffic light and some Barney Five sitting behind the general store waiting for you to go five miles over and they're going to get you. They're all over. Well, he, he was going through one of these towns and Barney Fife got him. He was going 15 miles over, 15 miles. And the guy wrote the ticket and he couldn't call in. He said, you have to appear in court. So he had to go preach a revival. Then he had to come back to this small town, nowhere, Georgia. See, the, the cop didn't understand who Billy Graham was. And Billy Graham wasn't necessarily trying to get out of it. He was going to go and appear in court and going to pay his ticket. But the judge recognized that it was Billy Graham. And he said, sir, 
I apologize, but you broke the law and you're going to have to pay the debt. But here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pay it for you. And Billy said, that was mercy. But then the judge took me out for a steak dinner afterwards. That's grace. (laughs) Both are true and we see it here. So I want to close with that this morning. You see, her sin, the woman caught in adultery, it could have condemned her, could have condemned her to death. Jesus was the only one who could have thrown a stone and he had every right to throw it. Yet in an incredible act of grace, he chose not to. So we see her sin, how Jesus deals with it. And the situation is this, being pardoned when we deserve death and being told to go and sin no more is not a warning, it's an invitation to a life that God wants to give you, that you were meant to have all along, but your sin has separated you from him. Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen? Amen. Well, that's about all I got. But I do want you to respond. You see, we see a powerful story of who our God is. And listen, I know a room this size, there's people here, you're dealing with stuff. You see, the title of today's sermon was this, both are true. I wanna tell you that a room this size with as many people that are here, there's somebody here that doesn't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And I wanna challenge you, don't let today go by. Remember we talked about that you would come expecting to receive something from the Lord. If you have never trusted him as your Lord and Savior, today is the day. Don't let it pass. You may not have another one. You may not have another opportunity. And this is not about this woman's sin. This is about the grace of God in Jesus Christ. And he wants to give you, he invites you to this newness of life. But then there's also People here, you've been walking with the Lord and you're covered up like fleas on a dog with sin in your life. I'm telling you, today's the day. Confess before Jesus Christ, Lord, here I am. And this is what's going on. And the Bible says if we're faithful to confess it, he's faithful to forgive it. This is the power of who God is. And both are true. Both are true. So I'm going to invite the prayer partners to come up and look, this is the altar. I want to invite you here. I want you to come and, 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 and let God know. And we're going to sing a song. And I don't want you to worry about who's looking. This may be the most important decision of your life right here and right now. But I'll promise you, when people are looking at you, they're praising God for the work that he's doing in your heart. And they're probably saying, man, I wish I had as much courage as they do. Amen. As I begin to pray, I want you to come up and respond. And then we're going to sing. Father, I thank you for today, Lord. I thank you for what you're doing. God, I pray that your word would work in our hearts, Lord. Just as Sharon prayed, that we would be changed by it, Lord. Father, that you do a work in us. And I pray for both the the non-believer and the believer. This is a message of an invitation for both of us. Let us come to the altar, Lord. 
Father, would you do your healing power that you did that soul surgery you did on this woman who was caught in adultery. She came that way, but she left forever changed because when we encounter you, Jesus, we are never the same. Oh God, would you do that great work here this morning? In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you were encouraged and challenged by what you heard today. If you'd like more information about Champion Forest Baptist Church, our service times, or how you can get connected, visit us at championforest.org. Thanks so much. Have a great day, and God bless.